Welcome to Cowan Insights, a space that brings leading thinkers together to share insights and ideas shaping the world around us. Join us as we converse with the top minds who are influencing our global sectors. Hello, I am Helene Becker, Cowan's Managing Director of Airline Aircraft Leasing and Air Cargo Research. We are talking with two of Delta Airlines senior executives who have a focus on ESG and government affairs. Amelia DeLuca, Vice President of Sustainability, responsible for overseeing the long-term sustainability strategy, managing Delta sustainability investments, building an industry-leading team, and partnering with government affairs and legal as the airline swiftly drives positive change in an ever-changing regulatory and policy environment. Cherie Wilson is Vice President of Government Affairs Sustainability with responsibility for leading Delta's advocacy strategies on international, federal, state, and local climate policies, ensuring alignment between the company's climate goals and its climate lobbying activities. Her work includes fostering partnerships and policies to catalyze the market for sustainable aviation fuel and other clean energy innovations key to enabling Delta's net zero by 2050 goal. So really excited to have both of you with us today. Thank you for your time. Um, let's just go right into Q&A and start with how, how is Delta thinking about ESG, especially about getting to net zero carbon by 2050? That seems it's not that far from now. I know it sounds like 30 years is a long time, <laughs> 28 years, but it's really not. It goes really speedily. Let's get into Q&A and start with Amelia. How is Delta thinking about ESG, about getting to net zero carbon by 2050? I wonder if it's an achievable goal. So maybe you can talk about the major drivers that you're using to get there, set the stage. And then, Sheree, you can think about the next question I have for you, which is the impact of the Inflation Reduction Act and what it means for the industry and the challenges that are needed to get us safe to scale. So you think about that while Amelia answers the first part of the question. Thanks, Elaine. And thank you for having us here today. It is always uh, great to chat with you about the opportunities and the challenges of the sustainability agenda at Delta. And I think it's important. I'm I'm so glad you kind of laughed about the 30 years to get to net zero. Sometimes it feels really daunting, but we should laugh, right? Just because of the sense of like, we're going to figure it out, right? Like we're going to figure it out. Like, you know, we're working across the industry. We're working investors like you. We're working with a lot of startups. We're working with a lot of established players, right? And so it's not daunting, right? We're going to figure it out. It's going to take some twists and turns and some steps forward and some steps back, but we're going to get there. Before I go into net zero carbon, though, I want to talk a little bit about Delta Airlines because, you know, we are more than just a company that, you know, flies on jet fuel, which, of course, is where carbon comes in. And, you know, we're a trusted consumer brand. And so where, where our, you know, our mandate is really focused on moving to net zero carbon emissions, we really look at the totality of what it means to have a sustainable travel experience. And so I'll point to a couple of things that you've already seen. The new amenity kits on board that reduce not only single-use plastics, but are lifting female Mexican artisans out of poverty by paying them a living wage to produce that product, to removing single-use plastics, to, you know, electrifying our ground support equipment, to really just, you know, creating and crafting these kind of beautiful stories through our supply chain. And through that, we're lifting up communities, but we're also creating more sustainable, you know, totality in, in everything that comes on board to Delta. 
And even more recently, we announced a research um, and development project with MIT on contrails. I only point that out to just say that the scope of sustainability obviously goes beyond carbon, but I know many people really are just focused on carbon because of course 98% of our emissions do come from jet fuel. And so, yeah, what, is, what does net zero at 2050 look like? Well, I would just mention it is a long ways away, but there are things we're doing now. And so I like to break it into really three time horizons. The main lever that we have as an airline is what we will call operational efficiencies, which is essentially everything that we control when it comes to our jet fuel consumption. And so in 2022 alone, I did want to highlight that we are looking to be able to save over 10 million gallons through our operations and fleet modifications. So this is not next generation fleet. This is just things we control, like reducing aircraft weight, modifying our landing approaches, or even optimizing our flight speed at times. And we have a dedicated carbon council group that every single year going forward will be responsible for those annual fuel savings. That's your short term. Medium term, and this is where the IRA comes in, it's all about sustainable aviation fuel because we know those operational efficiencies, they're key because they're the first thing we can do now and they have almost no cost to them. But those are limited in what you can actually do. It's just like our car, right? We can only get so efficient with our, with our gas guzzling car before there's a limit to what we can do. And that's when you move into, okay, what are those next solutions? Sustainable aviation fuel is probably the most important lever that just doesn't really exist today. And so that's why I want to talk about the policy side with Cherie. But sustainable aviation fuel is that next biggest lever. And you've seen airlines such as Delta coming in and not only making investments in startups, but working on our offtake agreements. And so we can come back and touch on that later. There's a lot in the SAF space, but SAF is going to be critical. And then long-term is when you get on fleet. And fleet's a constant. You know this because you've covered airlines for years, right? The turnover of fleet is the constant. It's really going to be a matter of, as we get closer to 2050, what is that large step change function that goes beyond just those linear annual efficiency improvements to bringing those aircraft down to zero emissions. And that's when you get into things like Airbus's zero E product that we're partnering with them on to even, you know, electric aircraft. And so what does that look like in 2050? But those three main levers on operational efficiencies, sustainable aviation fuel and fleet are really the three things we have. And so while it seems far away and kind of daunting, the good news is we do have a plan for each one of those. Some are further advanced than others, but the industry is really coalesced around those three levers. So I'll turn it over to Sheree to talk about IRA real quick, because obviously I talked about and SAF though does need a little support from the government. And luckily IRA was a good first step. Sure. Thank you so much, Amelia, for that nice introduction. And thank you, Helene, for the opportunity. Um, so as Amelia mentioned, we are really trying to scale a nascent market. And it's quite critical that we have policies in place that will help us catalyze the market. The Inflation Reduction Act took the historic step of advancing um, what we've seen as the largest uh, climate policy legislation in history, um, really dedicated to trying to figure out how to drive U.S. global leadership and a variety of clean energy um, technologies um, and solutions. One of those is uh, with respect to sustainable aviation fuel. And so the legislation did include um, two dedicated tax credits that are specific to sustainable aviation fuel. Um, we're very excited about that. However, I do think that we have to be conscious that there is still more work to do. So it was a great first step um, in helping to incentivize the market, but we are going to need um, bolder solutions moving forward. So for example, I'll note that um, at Delta and across the larger um, aviation industry, we've supported the administration and staff grand challenge goal, which is striving to um, increase the market here in the United States from the 2001 levels of 5 million gallons to uh, 3 billion gallons by 2030. So that is a 600-fold increase. 
Um, and as you can see, that is certainly um, going to require a level of significant investment and commitment from the industry across the whole supply and value chain. Um, and so what we're doing right now is really taking an assessment of what these incentives will do, how they'll move the market. Uh, there's a two-year blender's tax credit. Um, we have offtake agreements for about 200 million gallons. None of those offtake agreements will, will qualify for that initial two years. Only those existing producers that are in the market now will be able to utilize the BTC. But when you look at the clean fuel production credit, which um, essentially is what the blender's tax credit will transition into around the 2025 uh, timeframe, that is where you'll see more opportunity for our offtake uh, agreement for the suppliers that are a part of our offtake agreement coming online. The challenge there is that the clean fuels production credit is heavily tilted towards those sustainable aviation fuels that uh, have the lowest emissions. So we're striving to uh, certainly support uh, next-gen sustainable aviation fuel. That is something that is definitely going to come online later in the uh, decade. And so we want to make sure that we're sending the right targets and market signals, um, just given the time frame that it requires for our production partners to um, essentially uh, break ground and go through all of the various permitting and, and requirements otherwise. Um, so... One of the challenges there, I think, is that we're going to need stronger market signals. I think the, the amount of the credits were about $1.25 to $1.75. Um, as you know, right now, there are certain incentives in the market for renewable diesel. Um, and so we're seeing those uh, producers, we need to encourage them, quite frankly, to get into the sustainable aviation fuel market. In order to do that, we have to shift the um, the refining economics in their favor. So that's something that we're trying to work on um, with the legislation moving forward. Additionally, we're also working across uh, our supply chain and thinking about how we can incent demand. And so I know we'll talk a little bit more about that moving forward. But the other element here that I'd also flag is when you think about um, next-gen staff, power to liquids, for example, the Inflation Reduction Act does contain a number of incentives um, that were about 10 years long, so certainly had a bit more longevity than we're seeing for sustainable aviation fuel, uh, for renewable electricity deployment, for clean hydrogen deployment, as well as for carbon capture and sequestration technologies and direct air capture. We consider those to be the building blocks for power to liquids. And so to the extent that the United States can uh, begin to lead on bringing down the costs for all of those elements, we think that will help over the long term provide the runway that we need to create a market moving forward for uh, power to liquids, which can get us to uh, net zero production levels uh, of sustainable aviation fuel. Got it. So the, the credits bring the cost of SAF to more affordable levels. That's, that's what we're trying to do here, I guess. Is that right? Correct. Correct. Okay. We want it to be more affordable and we also want to encourage uh, investment. Right. Okay. So do you see, I don't know if it's you or Amelia, do you see a future where the Monroe refinery can produce SAF? Yep. I'm happy to take that one. And I think that's what makes us really powerful between Cherie and I and just the broader Delta team is that we've got a kind of front row seat into, mm -hmm. you know, the decisions that refineries are making right now as they try to determine what products they're going to make in the future. So from our perspective, you know, we are with Delta, you know, looking at pathways for integrating Monroe into a net zero future and supporting our 10% uh, SAF goal. 
as you've probably seen, Monroe, um, there was some coverage that Monroe is evaluating the possibility of producing sustainable aviation fuel as well as other renewable fuels at the trainer refinery. Um, we would just make a note, though, that you know legislation um, or regulatory reform on the RFS standards, which we can talk about, are required to improve the functionality of the REN market. So, which would reduce our compliance costs and improve the RFS program, so that both farmers and refiners benefit from the structure of the program. So, maybe Sheree just hit on that real quick, and it kind of goes into again, one, it there is obviously there's a decision to be made about you know what what materials are coming out of a refinery, but then there are a lot of policies even on refineries today that can impact what products that they're making. I don't know, Sheree, if you want to touch on that real quick. Sure, happy to chime in there. Um, I think one of the challenges that we faced is that the REN market is fairly opaque. Um, so there's questions around the transparency of the REN market. And um, I think in terms of the costs that is associated with compliance, there are um, insufficient drivers there. Um, we think that, for example, if you had a SAF multiplier, that might help um, adjust some of those incentives to encourage renewable diesel producers to invest in sustainable aviation fuel, for example, over and above renewable and diesel. So kind of thinking about um, the, the long-term viability of that program through that lens is important, um, but ultimately it is also about the transparency. And right now the, the prices that are associated with the REN's value tend to fluctuate um, in a very opaque nature. And so we're hoping to bring transparency to that market. Got it. That's very helpful. That's really helpful. And it's helpful to understand, I think, how, you know, how SAF is going to be integrated into the network, because I feel like for long haul flying, it'll be SAF. And I don't know what you guys think about this. I feel as though manufacturing enough of it, scaling is really the issue. Everybody everybody in air quotes there seems to have and a solution to use SAF, and I see lots and lots of agreements between various airlines and producers. So maybe two questions. One is, how do you decide which producers to work with? Two, is it is it even realistic? An airline like Delta uses about, what, 4 billion gallons of jet fuel annually, and I think the agreement is for something like I want to say 40 or 50 million annually. I'm probably remembering that incorrectly, but it's not in the league of what you actually need. I want you to answer that question first, but then I want to sort of pivot to how you're going to think about short and medium term flying because long term makes sense, right? I think the numbers I've seen 20% of flights provide 80% of emissions. So that argues for SAF or a change in engine technology. So so let's just, uh, so I'll stop there and I'll start with, um, yeah. how do you decide on the partners? Sure. Oh yes, the story of SAF is always an interesting one. And I will just mention, Helene, you are spot on that SAF is, is gonna be here. It's gonna be here for a while, right? There are not a lot of other solutions for long haul flying, though I will say, I mean, the journey does not end at 2050 for us as an industry, right? We'll continue through beyond 2050 that, you know, maybe someday there is a world where we're not using SAF at all. And there are just we're fully on hydrogen or electric. And but that's that's not at 2050, right? So you're 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 spot on. Every model that anyone has ever come up with, third party or within an airline, shows that SAF is the most important part of the walk towards net zero. But again, as Sri mentioned, there's almost none of it today. And we've got to basically scale it so that the totality of our fuel is coming from something that's sustainable. And so I think the most important thing to note is there's many chapters of SAF. We talk about SAF at this very high level, and there's going to be many different chapters in sustainable aviation fuel as we scale it. It's not just one product 
that's made from one feedstock and one technology today that we got to figure out how to just scale. You're going to layer on the, the products as we go. And so let's start with today, right? Today, we talk about things like used cooking oil that's produced through what's called a HEPA technology process that happens today. That's what airlines are flying on today. We know very quickly we're going to get to feedstock limitations, meaning there's not enough used cooking oil in the world. There's not enough cooking oil, and that already is, you know, being competed with other industries. And so it kind of becomes a quick page turn of like, what does the SAF chapter look like? And as Sheree mentioned, we're running these parallel paths because you've got SAF that's being produced today and it's available today. You've got SAF producers that have viable pathways in the future that need to break ground now. And then there's, of course, research and development that says, how do we create power to liquid fuels at scale? How do we scale renewable energy in the U.S.? How do we scale clean hydrogen in the U.S. and around the world? And so all that to say, how do we choose our SAF producers? Well, very similar to that conundrum is we try to fill out our portfolio by being diverse. So diverse in terms of not only feedstock, diverse in terms of technology, diverse in terms of sophistication of the partner, meaning just in the sense of some are going to be established major oil and gas companies, some are going to be startups. And so, and we spend a lot of time choosing our partners. And I will say we're really proud at Delta. We've seen some of our partners, such as like a Jivo, for example, just really see the industry coalesce around Jivo to say that we think, you know, for us, that's great. We celebrate when we've got other industry partners coming in and signing these off-take agreements with our staff partners, because that just means that it's more likely that that person, that group is going to make it. And so we, we celebrated a Jivo, which is one we've been in the mix with for quite some time. And then we bring online new startups like a DG Fuels was our most recent. And so when we're signing those, we're looking at things like I mentioned, diversity of feedstock, because we know there's not enough of any sort of feedstock that really exists today to scale. So let's make sure we have a diversification of where's that feedstock coming from, as well as technology, because these technologies are going to scale at different, not only cost pads, but timelines. And then I think the other thing just to mention, and Sheree talked about it a little bit, is not all staff is created equal in terms of the ultimate um, greenhouse gas emission savings. And so for us, you know, our goal is 400 million gallons SAF at 2030. So 400 million is the 10% of our 4 billion gallons of fuel. But of that 400 million, through our commitment to the First Movers Coalition that was launched at COP last year, 200 million must have greenhouse gas emissions reductions or 85% more. And so we are balancing out, again, just each one of those things I just mentioned to you also has a different impact in terms of the greenhouse gas emissions reductions. And so First Movers Coalition really put to the forefront for us, okay, we need to get with partners that are getting into that, almost that next level of greenhouse gas emissions reductions, which DG Fuels is really interesting because it is, um, there's lots of ways that you can bring greenhouse gas emissions we're down, whether it's through the, you know, regenerative agriculture practices that are used on the land, through the actual refinement process and the use of hydrogen and carbon capture. And so it's going to be fun to watch not only airlines, but SAF producers start to put together different puzzle pieces to try to have the biggest impact on the planet through the product that they deliver. My my, uh, my next question is, is really with short-haul flying. So long-haul, I get it. The 10% makes sense. We get there soon, soon, seven years, soon. <laughs> so you guys pivoted away in the process of pivoting away from the 50-seat RJ. And you're focused on larger regional jets. So when you think about short haul, I think every everybody, again, those air quotes, that eVTOLs contemplated as ground replacement vehicles. At least that's how I've done a lot of work in this space. And that's how we think about them here at Cowan. We think that eVTOLs, at least the ones that Joby is manufacturing now, are really ground replacement. There's nothing out there yet. And I think, um, Amelia, you mentioned, you know, hybrid or electric. I suspect that will be the medium term 
answer to moving 100 or 150 people between, say, Atlanta and New York um, or New York and Chicago. But you guys just announced a big investment in Joby. I don't know if you can actually talk about the investment in the context of future growth and how you're thinking about sustainability overall, and also the context of the infrastructure needed to make eVTOL a reality. You know, well, as you guys both know, there's a lot of issues with air traffic control. And I just have this vision of all these Jetson-like aircraft flying around the airspace without having enough air traffic controllers to begin with. I, I don't, I, and I'm trying to be not old <laughs> in my thinking. I'm trying to embrace young thinking and thinking how this is going to work. But what are, what are you guys thinking about this? Thanks for bringing it up, Helene. Joby is a really exciting partnership for us here at Delta. And to your point, though, it's exciting because it's really innovative. It has the opportunity to really change the customer journey when traveling in some pretty congested markets on the ground. And so this does open up a new way of, you know, accessing air travel, a new way of moving about. Um, and for Delta particularly, I just want to mention, you know, we we chose Joby just because, you know, we thought that they were a partner that shared our pioneering spirit and our commitment to delivering innovative, seamless experiences to customers. And so it was really more about the customer experience and the innovation coming from Joby that made us want to put our brands together. And when we made the, you know, the commitment through that investment, I think, you know, a couple of things that we, I will note is that it is about solving those problems together with Joby, right? It is about understanding what does air traffic control have to look like for EVTOL to come online and scale. And you've noticed that we picked two of our hub markets, New York and mm -hmm. LA, as the starting point, because those are really important markets, not only for this product, but for us as Delta to figure this out. And Joby's obviously a leading partner. But you're right, this is this is very short haul type flying, right? This is very, not even short haul, it's, it's short range, right? And so to me, this really becomes a question of, um, you know, the innovation of the future, right? The customer travel experience of the future, more so than something that is like a replacement for Delta's RJ flying today. This is a completely different line of work. Um, but I do think it's pretty aligned with the Delta brand in the sense of, you know, Delta's made investments, for example, in the past in Clear and in Wheels Up, which again are things that are just part of the travel experience. And so by being able to be a little bit more innovative and again, putting the Delta brand kind of side by side to say, we're going to solve these problems, that's where it becomes interesting. And I'll just highlight that's also consistent with how we're working with Airbus. So, you know, with Airbus, we have signed on to be their North America launch partner, not, not launch of the product, but development partner in terms of their zero E, which is their hydrogen product. And very similarly, what is really interesting about that behind the scenes is it's just frequent workshops with them that just kind of says, okay, what does this product look like? How many seats are on there? What is the range? What are the capabilities? What are the challenges? What are the opportunities and how do we solve them together? And Joby is very similar to that. You know, we'll be sitting side by side with them. It's not just an investment. It is really trying to figure out how do we bring this new experience online for our customers. That's very exciting. Thank you for that. And then just one final question. In some of your sustainability reports, you mentioned climate events like acute flooding and sea level increases as risks to an airport like LaGuardia, which is underwater today. No, it's just raining in New York today. <laughs> Not underwater, just kidding. So, so how are you thinking about building resiliency into your airport infrastructure? Is there a need for like 
I don't know, a sustainability equivalent of next gen advisory committee to plan for these risks. And, I, and, and honestly, I don't know how relevant that is to your network across the board because you don't fly in a lot of low lying places. Well, I will say the physical challenges from climate change are still being explored just more broadly, right? How do thunderstorms impact our ability to operate in the future, right? Those are all things that we're going to continue to learn as science develops. But to your point, we know quite a lot, at least through modeling today, about what airports or what infrastructure is going to be impacted. And so this last year we ran what's called a physical risk assessment, and you use it, external consultants come in, and basically we took our top 21 airports and then ran them through what, what's called like a worst case global warming scenario. And lo and behold, Helene, yes, LaGuardia is the only one that is a problem. But so that's the first thing, right? It's just awareness. And I will tell you, obviously, LaGuardia as an airport knows that as well. They are great partners of all. All of our airports are, you know, coming very quickly online with us to say, what does the airport of the future look like? How does it use renewable energy? How are we preparing for climate change. And so I'll just touch on LaGuardia since obviously that is our, our most high risk, but also one that's just, you know, basically been renovated. So it's a great opportunity to fix that. So I'll just mention for us, all critical electrical and mechanical infrastructure were placed above the design flood evaluation. And so we've accounted not only for future sea level rise, but also for things like storm surge and wave action during a major flood event. And so from that perspective, not to minimize it, because to your point, like this is a small thing among our bigger jet fuel problem, but it's one of the most immediate challenges that we'll have, not just for as sea level rises, but, you know, as mentioned, if there's a storm surge or just waves coming off, we need to make sure that that airport is ready to withstand it. And so just hats off to not only Delta CRE team, but the entire LaGuardia and the New York port area, because they're just, they're very much on it in a way that we appreciate. That's really, that's really helpful. And I didn't even think of storm surge, but you're right. Right. Yeah, that that could come up. And then all of a sudden you're five feet above, maybe you should be 10 feet above because you get those once in 500 year storms every year. So it's just accelerating. I feel like it's accelerating. No, I was just going to say, I agree with you. And I will say, you know, we haven't touched upon it entirely yet, but what I just love about sustainability, just working in sustainability at an airline in particular, is that we just get to work with so many great people. Our airports are obviously great partners of ours, very advanced in this thinking, just because generally building infrastructure is one of the top things that the world thinks about. But even some of the other topics, you've heard me kind of interweave that we work with other airlines really well, that we work with coalitions from agriculture to hydrogen, right? Like the world of sustainability is going to make the aviation ecosystem look a little bit different than it traditionally has. But I think it's very refreshing because it's a sector that everyone wants to figure this out, right? People are not rooting against us. They are rooting for us because people know the value that air travel brings to not only their personal lives, but to their livelihoods, to, you know, economies around the world. And so it's just a nice feeling that, yes, we have a ton of challenges. We've talked about a number of them today, but there's so many more we haven't talked about yet. Um, infrastructure at airports to support our ground support equipment, electrification, right? Like I could go on and on for days about challenges that we have, but no matter where I look, whenever I have a problem, I've got someone, a partner standing there basically being like, let's go solve this together. And so that is where I would, you know, make sure we, we kind of close on that, that yes, it's very interesting, but we've got great partners, including our investors who work with us day in and day out to say, Hey, have you thought about this? Or, Hey, you might be at risk in the future if you're not either reporting on this, being transparent about this, thinking about this, having the right ambitions. And so we're constantly evolving through this listen, act, listen kind of mantra that we've set for ourselves when it comes to climate change. And we look forward to continuing to listen, act, listen in the future. That's really great. Thanks, Amelia. Um, Sheree, is there anything you wanted to add before we close for the day? 
Thanks so much. I would just reinforce what Amelia said. I think, you know, we know that there's power in partnerships and coalition building. And so um, in our advocacy, we always try to work with our supply chain partners and across our value chain. Uh, when we think about the opportunities with the First Movers Coalition, for example, I'm actually um, at the BTN Innovate Conference today, um, where I'm encouraging you know, our corporate uh, supply chain partners to think about uh, co-investing in sustainable aviation fuel with us and also advocating for uh, more robust um, solutions to help scale the market. So this is a journey, we can't do it alone. Um, and uh, we're excited to do this transparently um, and to be one of the most trusted companies in the world with respect to our sustainability goals objectives and how we get there. So thank you for the opportunity to talk about that. And always well, good you. to do anything with Amelia. <laughs> well, thank you both. I, I really, um, I've gotten to know Amelia a little bit over the last year. And I think the one thing about Delta is that you're an industry leader across the board in a lot of different places. And this is just another area where, you know, you guys are taking the lead and, and really taking the ball and running with it. And I think it's going to be very exciting to see how the industry adapts, because to your point, without a robust airline industry, we don't have robust econo economies. And you already see that happening in the smaller cities in the United States where we don't have enough pilots to serve them and where people have to really rethink the their travel experience and where cities lose out from an economic perspective. Because if you don't have a good aviation support network to get people in and out easily, you're not going to attract industry. So love that you guys are um, took the time today to talk to me about this and we look forward um, here at Callan to paying attention to what you guys are doing over the next few years thanks Helene thank you thanks for joining us stay tuned for the next episode of Cowan Insights